Welcome back to a happy edition of the Card Chronicle podcast. It's been a, a while since we had one of these post-victory uh, episode. Mike Rutherford and Danny Sennard here with you. And we're going to get into all the minutia of Louisville's win over Syracuse, what it means long-term, are the cards actually back. But I think just to start with, I had forgotten how much I missed just kicking the shit out of Syracuse and then getting snarky, upset, angry, crabby Jim Boeheim post-game press conferences. If nothing else, it felt good to be back with that happening. Yeah, God, Beheim, he's just a he's an asshole. Um, and I, I, he re- I mean, I'll, I'll call a spade a spade. He really is. Uh, the, the comments about Dave, you know, that's just classic Beheim. But it did. I mean, that was the exact recipe that not only our team needed, but the fans needed as well. Just an absolute ass kicking. And I was on cloud nine today. One of the most underrated parts of the, of the game, I think, from the Dick Vitale commentary. We're going to talk a little bit more about Vitale later, but Vitale defending Beheim getting teed up, acting like he didn't deserve it, when I think Jim Beheim was like in the front row uh, across the court when he was getting his technical. I mean, it was obvious. like The game was over at that point. Beheim was pissed off about a no-call on Dwayne Sutton, where I, I, if there was a foul, it was minimal body contact. It looked like it was uh, a pretty good no-call. And he was all the way out on the floor, and, and Vitale's like, you can't tee him up for that. I was like, what the fuck does he need to do? Take his pants off? Like it was the most it was the most ridiculous coach defense of all time, which I guess is kind of Dickie V's brand, but I was like I rewatched the game this morning and I was like, what the hell is he talking about? It was just bizarre. Yeah, Dick, I mean, you know, I, I love that he's like an ambassador for college basketball, but my God, it, it's starting to get painful every game. Um, I mean, he defends the same guys. Uh, he obviously has bias towards the same teams and, uh, you know, we all know his shtick again. I- I'm glad that he's kind of been like the, the face of college basketball for a while, but it just seems like we're, we're, uh, we're the Dickie V, uh, clock is kind of running out of time here. Is there a part of you? I don't know what the, I don't think they've even decided the announcer pairings for the next three weeks or anything like that, but is there a part of you that got sad thinking about that this may have been the last time we got to hear Dickie V tell the Ryan McMahon origin story? <laughs> I mean, the fact that like he was like dogging McMahon last night for not driving the ball. I'm like, Dick, he's literally like helping us win the game here. So why don't we just applaud him for that? Like, you know, I'm happy that he got, uh, you know, obviously you've heard the story 10,000 times that he helped get Ryan to Louisville, but uh, yeah, last night was not the game that Ryan needed to drive the ball since you know, they were <laughs> leaving him wide open from behind the arc. So I had no idea what Dick was talking about. I did like, so like I said, I rewatched the game today in the first half and go back and you can fact check this if you want to. In the first half, it was after Ryan missed, I think the third, his third three pointer in the row. He made the first two, missed three in a row. And after the third miss, Vital, like you said, goes into this spiel where he's like, I'll tell you this, like, I, I hate to say it. But he's become one, too one-dimensional. He's become a one-dimensional player. And it's just, he's got to get back to driving the ball and all this stuff. In the second half, literally 45 minutes later, McMahon makes that drive where he dishes the Enoch for the dunk on the fast break. And Vital goes into this field about, you know, he's become, he's improved so much defensively. He's improved so much with his ball <laughs> handling. He's become so much better passer. I was like, what the fuck? You literally, you're saying the exact opposite of what you just said no more than an hour ago. Um, like you said, it's, the, the the curtains coming down. These are the last years of Dick Vitale. I'm going to be, even though he's not my favorite person in the world, 
it's going to be, I'm going to be sad just as a college basketball fan. Oh, I will too. hundred percent. Stuff like this. Like it's, it's getting, we're getting there Poor Dan Shulman. Nope. Yeah, I know. Shulman. Yeah. He's, you know, he just looks at like the announcer schedule, like when he gets it and he's like, God damn it. Here we go. Playing babysitter again. But it's like, don't um, even fucking complain (laughs) one second pass. Like, I I don't care. Dealing with Walton's terrible. People love that shit. Like what? It's been a day in my shoes. I, I always picture like when they like fly into the city that they're calling the game. Shulman's like, I'm just going to turn my phone off. And like Dick's like, what room is Danny in? I'm going to go find him. And like bangs on his door. He's like, hey, baby, let's go down and eat by the stadium. Shulman's like, I think I'm just going to get room service. He's just like watching. He's like in the dark of his hotel room watching Sean McDonough call a game with Bill Raftery and just crying. That's it. Yeah. Poor Dan. Um, let's talk about the actual game. Louisville wins 90 to 66. It's, I mean, the thorough ass kicking that we all were hoping we would see after the de- just debacles last week at Georgia Tech and at Clemson. And I've seen people go back and forth on this. The whole, like, I do the joke about cards are back and all that stuff, but I guess we can talk about it seriously. How significant is this win? Is it a sign that Louisville was just kind of a, had a fluky week a week ago and we're going to be one of the best teams in the country from this point forward? Or was it just Louisville? playing like it needed to after getting its you know getting humbled last week against a team that kind of is a good matchup for the cards playing a 2-3 zone and not being all that good at it this year where do you stand on that I think you nailed it there at the end I think this was the absolute perfect game for us getting to come home after two poor showings playing a team like Syracuse that plays that 2-3 zone where we you know obviously have shooters um and then the the thing that I'm just not a hundred percent sold on, God, Syracuse's zone. I mean, it was very poor. Bad. Um, it just, I was very surprised at how bad it was. This is they, going I to mean, be real quick. This this will be if it holds the worst defense that Jim Bayheim's had in the Ken Palm era. Like they are a bad defensive team this year. Well, like the thing about Bayheim's two three is like it was always really hard to get the ball into the middle usually, and like. They got it in with ease last night, right in the middle. And, you know, shout out to Chris for putting Dave in the middle most of the game. Obviously, that was the right move. He made the right plays pretty much every single time. Um, But even, like, even when we did get the ball in the middle, for some reason, like, they kept, like, running up on Dave at the foul line. And he would just, Uh like, throw it right underneath. I'm like, why why aren't they, like, kind of backing off and, like, letting him prove that he can make that shot? So, just a real kind of weird game plan from Syracuse on defense. But I still, like I said, everything about this game I loved. I, I thought we played fantastic. We had fantastic energy. I thought Malik really set the tone um, from the way he played. But I still have caution going forward about teams that are really going to get up into us defensively and kind of force us to, you know, run our offense like from a standpoint of like, hey, you know, we just – Sometimes we get pushed back like behind the three-point line when we have to run our offense against teams that are a little more physical. So those are the teams that scare me going forward. But I'm not going to you know, be a Debbie Downer. This is a great win for us. No, I'm totally with you. And the weird thing about the Syracuse zone this year is like, they, have, they have pretty good players, but they don't have like that freak six-foot-six point guard to, to run at the top of the, of the, the zone. And their post players defensively suck. Like They, they just do. Like Dolajai is a he's a really improved player especially on offense and he's a decent rebounder 
but he's 165 pounds. Like, I think I weigh more than he does at this point. And the poor kid just got, we talked about Syracuse getting the shit kicked out of it. Like, is Dolezal has to be in the hospital right now. Like, he, yeah. every time I, there was the one possession where, and this was the, the funniest possession of all time. Like, Steve, I'm calling him Steve now, too. We can do it because Chris Mack said Steve in his postgame press conference and Dave. Oh, yeah. So, oh, so yeah. You are, oh, yeah. More evidence piling up that he is a dumpster Dan fanboy. Uh, but so Steve accidentally elbowed Dolajai in the face and it becomes a hectic possession. Enoch gets control of the ball. It's chaotic. And again, there are a million things that he can do in this situation. Just hold the ball, make a simple pass to a guard, try to, you know, post Dolajai up, try to make a spin move, see what's going on, take a jumper. He does the, the little, like the only thing you can't do and just plows the fuck into him. And Dolajai, who's still kind of holding his face, licking his wounds, it just gets drilled in the face again. And the best part was, because I had, I had an exchange with uh, our guy Keith Wynn on Twitter, and, and I think Keith summed it up perfectly. The look on Enoch's face, just it, it showed somebody who in his mind the entire time was, oh, fuck! <laughs> and he just, just plows right into it. He was like, it was like a Leroy Jenkins moment where he's just like, fuck you. And it's like, just drilled him. And I think uh, Mac on the sidelines was like, what the hell was that? But like their inside guys are all kind of like Merrick Dolajai. Like they just don't have a, a forceful post presence. And you need to have that guy um, kind of like um, uh, Onowaku, Rizne Onowaku, Chinano's brother, who just is big and brawny and scares people down low and can be physical. And they don't have that guy. So they just, the, the two three is just not good this year. But I'm not going to let that, like you said, I'm not going to let it rain on the parade. The reason why I, like, I was really, really excited last night, obviously beating a decent team by 24 points when you've just lost two in a row is a big deal. But just the fact that we came out with that effort and that enthusiasm and that focus and played with it for 40 minutes, now, it doesn't excuse what we saw last week. If anything, it makes it feel a little bit weirder that we played like we did on, on Saturday. But I think that my big concern after last weekend was this could be the team we see for the rest of the year. Like the, the way that, some of our guys look, not all of them. I mean, Dwayne Sutton played his ass off Malik, uh, Fresh, Ryan. Those guys were playing hard the entire game. But some of our guys looked like they would rather be doing anything but playing basketball in mid-February. And I think when you see that this late in the season, there's a understandable concern that this could become like a thing. Like th- this could be how the rest of the season goes. And so to see us come out and to see the guys look like they cared, to see the bench into it the entire time, especially the guys that got taken out of the starting lineup, to see just the... The, the, the focus, the enthusiasm, all that good stuff back, to me, that was just super, super comforting because I was legitimately worried that like we weren't going to be locked in for the rest of the year, that we were going to look the same way we looked down the stretch last season. And if that's the case, like you don't have a chance. At least now, I'm not saying that there aren't going to be, there isn't going to be another shoddy performance. There, there aren't going to be more stuff that, we, that just drives us all crazy. But at least because we played the way we did Wednesday night, it feels like we have a shot moving forward. Is that fair to say? No, I, I definitely agree with that. And it was good to see the five starters that were on the floor. They all, to start the game, were in kind of like fuck you mode. Like, all right, we're not going to take shit tonight. Um, Dwayne kind of got it started by hitting that three. And then, like I said, I mean, Malik was just a man down low. He, he, he grabbed pretty much every rebound. Um, he was great defensively. And then Ryan just... I mean, that was a perfect game for Ryan to kind of snap out of whatever he was in, um, you know, and he played. I mean, he did he did more than just shoot threes. I thought he played a good overall game. And 
even though Jordan didn't particularly shoot the ball well, I was really happy to see him like at least try to get into the game as far as like, you know, trying to get his shot going. And I know he hit a deep one at the end. And I think that the turning point of the game was when Dave got that one offensive rebound and kicked it out to Jordan and he drove in for the, the yeah. and one. I think that put us up like 11 or something. And from there then on, we didn't look back. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's really hard to find anything negative that happened last night besides like maybe the last three or four minutes when Steve was doing pull-ups on the rim and um, <laughs> Sam was getting a little lazy with the ball and I thought Chris was going to make him walk home. He looked so pissed at him. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, if we can get this kind of effort from this team, I mean, I'm not saying we're going to win every game, but we're going to be right there with a chance to win every game. And I think we would win most of them. The Enoch technical that happened right after the Bayheim technical was the most egregious. Like, I mean, he was basically doing the president's physical fitness test on the rim, like seeing if he could get 15 chin-ups. And Mac was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And then I, I really thought he might just kill Sam. Like, like Sam had the – because at, at that point, we're trying to run out the clock. We're trying to run some offense. And, and Sam is – kind of in YOLO mode. Like he's trying to get his at the end of the game, which is fine, whatever. Um, he took a bad shot, the possession before, and then right like at the very beginning of the next possession, I think with 24 seconds of the shot clock, he tries to take that baseline jumper and gets blocked. And Mac, I'll say this for him. He has the reputation for being kind of a player's coach, like an easy guy to play for. He doesn't like, if he has a problem with somebody, he kind of keeps it with the assistants and the, in the little, when the timeout was called, he, they have that little powwow with the assistant coaches before they talk to the players. And you see Mackie's just like repeatedly three times in a row, what the fuck is that guy doing? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is he doing? Like, he was just about to lose it. But after the game, he was uh, he spoke pretty highly of, of Sam, really uh, credited his, his passing early in the game when he had his first in in there. So he had nice things to say about the players, but you could tell he was really frustrated. Let's talk about the starting lineup. It wound up being you and I answered the question at the end of last the last podcast about what our ideal starting lineup for this game would be and it ended up being the exact starting lineup that we picked Ryan uh, in there David Johnson at the point and then Malik Williams in for Stephen Enoch after the game you know Mac was asked about is this going to be the lineup moving forward or are you going to mix and match and he was definitive that David Johnson's the guy moving forward like D David Johnson's going to be your point guard from this point forward for the rest of the year he seemed to kind of hint that Malik Williams was probably going to be the center. I don't see why he wouldn't be. He's playing as well as he's ever played right now. This is the best stretch that he's had as a Cardinal. But he did say with Ryan, it was going to be more of a mixed match thing. And I, I kind of understand that. There are teams that Ryan matches up really favorably against, like Syracuse. There are teams that he doesn't. I think like Florida State, maybe like North Carolina on Saturday. So are you good with the lineup we saw on Wednesday? And are you good with this maybe being a fluctuating thing at at least one position? Um, yeah, obviously I was happy about the starting lineup. Uh, they threw it against Syracuse and I also listened to what he said after the game and we kind of texted about this. I like having Ryan in there to start the game just because I think on the offensive side of the floor that he kind of spreads out the defense so much, like you have to get out on him for three. And I just think that opens up a lot of driving lanes for Dave, um, to make a lot of plays, but you know, I, I know, as much as he's improved on defense, sometimes he can be a, a, a liability just because of his size. Um, so yeah, if it's a matchup thing and Chris feels more comfortable at, at throwing, you know, fresh out there, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that as well. 
Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if if Chris is just saying that or if he really means it, if he's really going to, you know, start someone else besides Ryan. I would think that Ryan would probably get the nod going forward just because we came out and played so well at the beginning of the game. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens on Saturday because against Syracuse, I get why Ryan was – I mean, Ryan hardly left the floor. He really didn't – I think he only played – he sat out two minutes in the first half and then really played the entire second half until the game was out of reach. And I felt a little bit bad for Darius Perry. But against a team like Syracuse, I mean, they don't run. They play that zone. You kind of sit back. You don't get tired against a team like that. And the thing – I know I made this point on Twitter, but if you go back and watch the game, even when Ryan wasn't shooting well during that stretch, I saw some people saying, you know, you got to get him out. Joe Girard just scored on him. He's not making shots. Look at how far that Syracuse defense had to extend when he had the ball in his hands. Like you had Elijah Hughes was three or four feet out every time Ryan touched the ball or Buddy Beham if he was on that side. And it just created such huge gaps. I mean, the, the middle of the zone was just wide open when Ryan had it. And against other guys, they were like they sagged off Dwayne a little bit. They definitely sagged way off David Johnson, especially after they kind of realized who he was um, when the game got two or three minutes in. But that's, that's what he does, and that's why everybody else on the floor, you can check the percentages. I know Hoops Inside posted a thing on it a couple weeks ago. Everybody else shoots better when Ryan's on the floor than they do when they're in the game and he's on the bench, Like that's especially Jordan and Dwayne, because he just demands so much attention. But there are going to be games where he just he's just, he's just a bad fit. So I don't know. Um, I thought the other interesting thing that Max said after the game was, his main worry about taking Fresh out of the starting lineup, it wasn't, you know, he runs the team better or he's a senior and David's a freshman or anything like that. He said, I knew Fresh would respond well to this. That, that's who he is. He's a leader. But he said he's he's the best guy we have defensively at communicating. Like, he's the one who knows where everybody's supposed to be. He calls out the screens. He, he, call, he tells guys when to hedge. He tells guys when to jump the screen and all that good stuff. And he said the only other person who does that really well is Malik Williams. So he said he wouldn't have felt comfortable taking Fresh out of the starting lineup if he hadn't also been putting Malik in, which I thought was kind of a, a cool thing. Yeah, no, and last night I thought defensively, uh, and we're, we've just been talking about offense all the time. I thought defensively we were great. We really, yeah. I thought, whoever got matched up on Hughes, whether it was Dwayne, whether it was Jordan, I thought did an outstanding job on him. Um, I know kind of towards the end of the first half there, Gerard hit a couple, uh, Buddy Beheim knocked down a couple threes. Um, it, it was kind of weird. Like I, we, I felt like we were in control, like very, like had the game in hand, like very early on. And then I'm like, geez, we're only up six. And I, it, it made me a little nervous kind of going into halftime, but it was really good to see our guys come out in the second half and, and, and respond. But I thought defensively they played great. Um, but you do make a good point about fresh, um, on the defensive end, but I was actually, at least in the second half, um, I thought he showed great energy, especially in the defensive end. He had a couple seals, and then we—I mean, we got to talk about the the Chris Mack chest bump um, with Chris. Oh. That, 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 I mean, my God, I was like, oh, oh God, all right, that, that was great. Um, Six to midnight, right there. Yeah, really, it was, that was, that's it was exactly one. what it was. Big old was, sports boner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a, a, a gif to play for a, a long time. I mean, you get the sense that Mac. I think he loves Fresh because I think Fresh is his type of guy. You know, he was the he's Philly guy. He's tough. He was the th first ever three year captain at St. Joe's, and he obviously it, it took him a while to get acclimated here. And there were all the stories from over the summer about how he wasn't really 
fitting in as this true point guard. He was they were they were wanting him to be Kristen Cunningham, and he'd never been a pass first point guard, and it was just a struggle for him. And you know, he lost the job to Darius and all that good stuff. But he's just he's always been tough as nails. He's always been, I think, a vocal leader. I think that Kentucky game is really where he found his voice because I think he always wanted to be that guy. But it's tough when you come into an entirely new program and you've got guys that have been here for three or four years and you've got a team that's that's close and you've got a team that's preseason top five. I'm sure it took him a while to kind of find his place. And since he has, he's really I know that people get on him for not, you know, maybe scoring as much as they'd like or. Uh, turning the ball over too much or or what have you. But I think he's really found, solidified his role here. And it wasn't surprising at all to see that he was just every bit as into the game from the bench as he w- has been when he was starting. Um, and, and I think, Mac, that's why you saw him so just emotional in that moment. It was just, he likes that kid. And he was excited that he was playing that hard despite being taken out of the starting lineup for the first time in an ACC game. But that was that was awesome. And then kind of the, the after, what didn't get as much attention was Darius was like just as into it too. I think... It, it was just cool to see those guys on the bench not acting like they've been taken out of the starting lineup. I thought it was a really, really positive, uh, positive moment. I want to go back. We mentioned Jordan real quickly. Obviously, there was so much talk, probably more talk nationally about Jordan than even here locally. It just seemed to be he was the easy scapegoat for Louisville's two losses. I mean, you got an All-American candidate who scores seven points in two games and gets taken out of the starting lineup, gets benched at the end of the Georgia Tech game, all that good stuff. I completely agree with what you were saying at the beginning there. Even though he didn't shoot well, he was 6 of 19. I don't think he took a bad shot. I, the only shot that you could maybe say was bad was the that deep three that he made in the second half. Besides that, he was appropriately aggressive, and I thought that was awesome. He was You could tell he made it a point to try and be active on defense. He was good on the glass again. And it, even though the shots weren't going down, I felt like this was a really big step back in the right direction for Jordan if we're talking long term. Yeah, with Jordan, if he takes good shots and he rebounds the ball and with the rest of his game, you know, as long as he's not getting exposed on the defensive end, like I, that's that's all I want from him. Because like I, I mean, we know the points will come. I think one of the reasons it was a bigger story nationally than locally is I mean, we've seen Jordan play here for a couple of years and we just know that he's he's going to score. I mean, it's not going to be like this forever. So um it, it was good to see him come out um like I said with that aggressive tone and sometimes when you're in a funk you you kind of just got, you have to shoot your way out of it and I was totally okay with you know some of the looks that he got and even though they weren't going in and it was good to see him I know you said that was like a bad shot but I mean it was good to see him kind of hit one of those deep ones there uh-huh. um towards the end and hopefully he can carry that into the Carolina game cuz um, I think he'll definitely get more open looks in that game as well. Uh, Dwayne Sutton, 16 points, eight rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block. He didn't spend as much time in the middle of the zone as you and I were talking about in our last pod, but still, after having such a bad game against Syracuse last year, he was fantastic in this one. And one of my favorite moments of the entire game, and I didn't notice it when I was watching it live on uh, Wednesday night, but early in the game, there's a moment where Syracuse is getting out in transition in a, l- a little bit, and David Johnson is slow to get back, and he's trying to wave to, to Dwayne. He's doing the thing where he's like, move over to the next man, take Buddy Bayheim. I've got Elijah Hughes. And Dwayne, Dwayne yeah. like, Dwayne's like, fuck that. No, 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 no you don't. That. And Dave, Dave, like, Dave tries to do the wave again, and Dwayne's like, no, go, you, you're on Buddy Bayheim. You can't guard this guy. I know you're starting. You're still a freshman. This is me. I've got this guy. I'm locking him down. 
and you've seen I've seen I've noticed Dwayne doing this more and more in recent weeks. Whenever he's guarding the other team's best scorer, he refuses to let switches happen. Like he he really fights through screens. If somebody tries to come over and take his man, especially if it's a guy like like Jordan or like David or or like uh, you know whoever one of the weaker defenders on the team, he just doesn't allow it to happen. Like he has stayed locked in. He knows what his role is now uh, defensively. And I think he's really, really embracing it. He is quietly like, like we always talk about the offense and, and the rebounding and all that stuff. He's been, I mean, you can make a case that he could be an all ACC defensive type player. He and Malik have been so good on that end of the floor all year long. Dwayne is going to go down as one of the more underrated U of L basketball players to come through here. I mean, the fact that he had 16 and eight last night, that might be like the quietest 16 and eight. You could possibly get. He just comes and he does his job. Like you can just count on him. Like that's why I I think that he doesn't get talked about. Like like me and you probably don't discuss him nearly as much as we should because he just comes and he. It's cliche, but he literally just shows up every night and he does what he needs to do. And uh, he kind of said he's kind of the tone setter with Malik on defense. And it, it, it's it's just refreshing to have a guy like that on the team and knowing like going into you know, these meaningful games coming up that you're not going to have to worry about Dwayne. Um, if, if he can just keep doing what he's doing right now, I, I, I just think that's going to be a huge bonus for us come March. Yeah, it's unfair to him that he doesn't get talked about as much as he should, but it's also, in a weird way, kind of a compliment because we take him for granted because we should take him, not, not for granted, but we just we know that night in, night out, his effort's never going to be an issue. Um, he's going to be scrambling for loose balls. Even if he doesn't play well offensively or doesn't shoot it well from the outside, he's going to D up. He's going to be our best defensive player. He's going to be the heart and soul of this team. And at some point, like that just becomes accepted as a fact. Like, like You know it's going to happen. There's no point in making it a special point to talk about because if you did, you'd be doing it every game. And I know Chris Mack kind of had that same problem at the beginning of this season where he would get asked about it after press conferences and he'd be like, well, I'm going to give the same spiel I, I, I've given the last two weeks. But, yeah, he, if we had every player play like Dwayne Sutton, we'd never lose a game and he would do all this thing. And it just at some point, you just like he's a absolute dog. And if we didn't have him, I don't even want to think about where this team would be. Because And th- th- go ahead. I'll, I'll finish after you. Yeah, I was just going to say, because with all the ebbs and flows that we've seen from, I mean, a lot of guys on this team, if you don't have that rock-solid constant and it's not a key player – and it's not somebody who this program you know, means as much as it means to Dwayne. I, like, this team, I don't think, would have any shot at a Final Four, a national title, or a special march, whatever, however you categorize that. I think he's that important to this group. This is how I know Dwayne's important. When things aren't going our way in a game, or it seems like maybe we're, we're giving up buckets, or the game is kind of slipping away from us, I usually, I, I'm not looking for... Jordan to step up or Ryan I'm like all right where's Dwayne like yeah. we need Dwayne right now like he's the first guy that I'm like all right what well, have we gotten anything from Dwayne and we, we need like a you know a, to draw a charge or a big rebound or him to step up and make a bucket here he's kind of the you know the the guy that I, I like old reliable for us I think no I totally agree um the, the last person that we have to talk about well, we, I, I do want to talk about Quinn Slazinski because he, he's your boy and he drilled a three at the end of the game. But Oh, yeah. You, I, I think every team that has a, again, to use the term, special march has somebody really step up at this point in the season who's been you know, maybe good, maybe even really good, but becomes great during this stretch. For Louisville, it's been Malik Williams. Like He has gone from this guy who 
I mean, just a few weeks ago, he always was playing hard. He always was kind of the, you know, the, the most vocal leader, most vocal captain on this team. But the offense was really struggling a few weeks ago. And it, it became a thing where you'd put Malik in for defense and you'd bring Steven in for offense whenever you could. And now all of a sudden, I mean, he's not just been like aggressive defensively. He's been an absolute warrior during this stretch. I mean, 13 rebounds last night, 14 points. And he had a double-double, I think, with 13 minutes to go in the game. You have to have somebody emerge like this, like whether it's a you know a three point shooter or whether it's a, a seldom used guy who comes like Quentin Snyder during the the Elite Eight run after Chris Jones got kicked off the team. Every great team has something like this happen in February. Like Malik again, I feel like I know that he and Steven have kind of been close to twenty twenty split when it comes to minutes in recent weeks or at least in ACC play. I feel like this is getting to the point now where it's going to have to be closer to like twenty eight twelve. He's been that good recently. No, I completely agree. Um, and it's so funny how far that he's come since he got here freshman year. Like freshman year, he was a guy that kind of floated around the three-point line and, you know, for whatever reason, like liked to – it looked like he was kind of one of the shit talkers on the team. I, he had that – I guess you could call like that Charlie Strong like fake juice to him. Where like you know he wouldn't mind getting in somebody's face, but really you didn't know if he was going to do anything about it or not. Sure. I think it kind of I think it kind of rubbed fans the wrong way. And to see where he's at now, where he's you know he's definitely bulked up, yeah, and he still can step out and hit the three. But God, he is just a man down low. Uh, you you made the perfect analogy. We like we need someone to step up to come March, and it seems like he's kind of that that guy. Like we kind of had that with. I know Larry was really the guy, like an 05, which yeah. by the way, I'm I'm really excited for that team to be honored on Saturday. One of my favorite cards teams, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm totally I, I totally agree on the minute split, and it's not a knock on Steve. I just think Malik is just playing so well right now. It's really hard to take him out of the lineup, especially for what he brings us on the defensive end. Yeah. So at the end of the game. My boy Keith Otto, rocking the number one, gets in, drills a pair of free throws. Your boy Q Slaz gets in there, rips a three, plays five minutes. He's the first one of the freshmen to get off the bench. It wasn't Josh Nickelberry, um, who I, I think may have been hurt. I know Aiden Nagehan was hurt. He didn't even dress for this game. But I know that Quinn got to be your highlight of the game. Oh, he looked like Larry Bird walking off like the three point contest. Like he, I, no, he did. He like he's kind of got like a Larry Bird like flick of the wrist shot. Like he shoots it over his head. I'm, the I'm, only I podcast mean, where Quinn Slezinski will be compared to Larry Bird is the Carter Larry Carter. Legend. No, I mean I, I I love Quinn. I I I actually I mean I think he's gonna do big things. Uh, you know, it seems like he's got one of the better personalities on the team. So. You know, I'm not in practice. I don't know how some of these freshmen are developing, but uh, I think it speaks volumes that uh, he was slated to redshirt this year. And 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 Chris said, nope. I I think he's he's kind of proven himself to where he doesn't need it this year. So I, I'm I'm expecting big things of Quinn going forward. I love that you keep doing the Chris thing too, because I like, I was floored watching the post game press conference where he I, I guess I'd never realized that he calls Stephen Enoch Steve. And he calls David Johnson Dave the same way you do. And he seemed to be emphasizing it. I was like, is he really? I was like, is he, is he talking to Dan right now? Is he, is he calling him right now? Um, we should mention after our game, it was beautiful to be able to, to keep it on ESPN and watch NC State beat the absolute piss out of Duke, which seems to happen every year when they play in Raleigh. 
But that, of course, puts Louisville back in a half game ahead of both Duke and Florida State in first place in the ACC standings. Uh, we're going to play Florida State coming up here on Monday. That could wind up being, if you win that game, you have the tiebreaker with Duke. That could end up being a game that determines who's the number one seed in the conference tournament. But I know that, that last episode, and I said it on the uh, Tyson Tate podcast too, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the ACC regular season race. I'm more focused on overall seeding and conference tournament and all that stuff. Like, all it takes is that one night, and I'm like, let's win this shit. Let's get back. Like, I have a renewed interest in the ACC regular season race. I want this thing now. I want it. I want it back. You're, you're, you're John Candy and Cool Runnings. He's like, they said we're back in. They said we're back in. <laughs> it's like 100%. I, I, I want it too. And if we do win Saturday, I'm not, I'm not just putting a W on the schedule. I think Saturday is going to be a, a tougher game than we probably realize. But um, that game on Monday, I mean, that's ACC yeah. game of the year right there. So, And Florida State does not lose at home. So, um, yeah, I'm – that we got exciting times coming up here um, for the cards. You mentioned it a, a little bit ago. I don't think they've actually officially announced it yet, but they are going to honor the 2005 Final Four team on Saturday during the North Carolina game. I guess at halftime they'll bring them out. Um, before we get into a little bit of the North Carolina talk, because we're going to have to do the, the Syracuse recap and the UNC preview kind of together on this podcast because we weren't able to get together uh, last night. And we, we don't want to force you to listen to a Saturday morning pod before UNC, so we're going to do both things here. But that 05 team, I think for people who are our age who didn't oh. – like, like we missed out on the 80s. The 90s were you know not great. Those were kind of our formative years. That was the first team we followed that not just went to a Final Four, but that really stayed – like felt like a national title contender from start to finish. The, the two years before we'd gotten to the top five, and those, those teams both tanked out in February and March – and weren't really, by the time we got to the end of the season, like legit threats. That team was top five pretty much, or top ten pretty much the entire year. They were fun as hell to watch. They rained threes on everybody. They had our guy Otis George, who we were leaving voicemails for still. Like, it was just such a fun team to follow, and I think that team still means so much to, you know, to every Louisville fan, obviously, but especially to people who are in our demographic. Yeah, and I mean, there's something about, like, me and you were in college, and there's there's just something about when, like... <laughs> one of your teams makes a run and like you're in college. It just For is sure. like, it's like peak life. Like there's like nothing that could bring me down from that team. I remember when they lost in the final four, I was like, Oh my God. I, think I mean, I literally thought I was going to cry. I was so sad that the run was over because not only was the regular season fun, we had like, you know, Francisco, you know, obviously coming back from, uh, it, it was his brother that, that, was killed right and then they they right. beat florida we and then he had the game winning three against marquette um on the road and then from like the memphis game the darius washington free throws all the way to the final four was just i mean we had the west virginia game in there it was just such a fun time to be a louisville fan and just a team you know full of such likable guys um that that obviously we're never going to forget First of all, I, I can't wait for your, both your wife and your kids to listen to this at some point and hear you refer to your college years as peak life. Was, was that, I think, the, the exact quote? It's peak life. Uh, peak like, life. Everything that's happened to me since has been a disaster. Uh, turn, it, turn it off, honey. <laughs> hit the 30 button. Hit that little 30 button on the right. I don't know what it does. Yeah. Uh, but, no, it, like that team was so much fun. And I think it wasn't just the – the the singular act of getting to the final four it also was kind of it was a message to us that like 
hey, like we're going to win national titles uh, with Rick Pitino. We're going to be back in this position moving forward. It took a little bit longer than we thought it was going to, but those first four years after we flamed out in 03 in the second round and then just totally fell apart down the stretch a, a year later, there was a little bit of concern that, like, you know, we hired this guy to, to get us back to the glory years. Is this actually going to happen? And that 05 team restored all that faith. The other thing that I remember about the 05 team, you know, one of the things I remember about the 05 team, Selection Sunday, like you said, we were in college. Uh, I guess you were at UK. You had bowed out gracefully from your Dayton years. I was still at Dayton, and me and our buddy Weber were sitting in our dorm room. And I remember, like, every little – this was, like, before bracketology was a huge thing. And you felt like you had a real grasp on about where your team was going to be. Every Louisville fan thought the same thing. We thought we deserved a one seed. We were probably going to get a two. Worst case scenario was we got a three. When we popped up as a four, the look on our buddy Weber's face, like it was just <laughs> pure, like 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 in the cartoons where like the, the Satan's like fire pops up in the eyeballs. That's what I saw on Weber. Like I thought he wasn't gonna watch the tournament at that point. Like he was absolutely irate. And then Patino after, because Patino after we beat um, Memphis, like the day before in the Conference USA title game when Darius Washington uh, proved to be the most clutch basketball player of all time, Patino was like, we're going to get a one. I don't know if you remember the post game <laughs> interview. He was like, he's like, we're going to be a one. We'll, we'll, we'll be a one. Like totally trying to mind fuck the, do some Jedi mind shit on the selection committee, which did not work at all. And then he was furious afterwards. And I felt like the team played with a chip on its shoulder the entire tournament because of that. But it was just a different time where we could be stunned by being a four seed. But man, I, I mean, it's going to be fun to see all those guys back together. I know a lot of them were in when they honored uh, Garcia uh, back in whatever it was the fall, but this is, I, I think having all these guys back is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. As, as excited as I am about the game, um, obviously I, I couldn't be more excited to see all the guys come back. So let's talk a little bit about Louisville, North Carolina, four o'clock tip. They moved it up from six o'clock. We get completely screwed every year on the the one game that ESPN and Louisville and the ACC work together to, to pinpoint and say, this is probably going to be your college game day opportunity. This year it was UNC. They set up for the 6 o'clock tip. They haven't come to the KFC Yum Center yet. They definitely wanted to this year. And then North Carolina has its worst team in, I think, 22 years. They're below 500, so they, they obviously can't have game day here. But it's a Carolina team that has been, even though they haven't don't have the wins to show for it, been playing a little bit better uh, as, as of late. The only team that they haven't been competitive with since Cole Anthony came back. You know it. You know it. You know course. it. And your boy Danny Manning, who they lost to by 17. Everybody else uh, they've been within six points of. And the wildest fact of all time, I think, is in ACC play, there have been 10 times where in the last 45 seconds of a game, the team Carolina has been playing has hit a shot to either tie or take the lead. Um, and, and they've lost on three buzzer beaters in the last 10 days. Two of them came against Duke. Virginia beat them at the buzzer. And then the fourth, if you want to call it a buzzer beater, was the game against Notre Dame on Monday where Nate Leshesky hit a shot with like 2.5 seconds left. I mean, they just, they're terrible. Don't get me wrong. But they have had some just atrocious luck. It, it is a really bizarre season for them. And I guess you have to start the conversation with, how concerned are you that we're the team where they where the luck turns around? It feels like they got at least one game is going to happen for them before the season ends where everything falls into place and they're the team that makes the plays in the final seconds. How concerned are you that we wind up being that team? Obviously, that's like the biggest scare factor for me. Um, I mean, to lose on like three basically buzzer beaters in a row, I mean, everyone in the world thinks there's no way that can happen four times and luck would change. So 
That's why I hope that we have the game in hand um, coming down the stretch because I do not want to be in that position where it goes the other way. Um, but I mean, it's, they, like you said, I mean, they are they, they're playing better. Um, I, I hope we don't. I, and I know you know Chris won't do this, but I hope we don't come out and treat him as a a 10 win 16 loss team because I personally think they're better than that. I think they, I mean, I want to say like they do have talent, but God, it it really hasn't shown this year. They really have a hard time shooting the ball and Cole Anthony. What's your opinion on Cole Anthony? Mine is, I, I think Dave is more valuable from an overall standpoint than Cole Anthony. They just let Cole just go wild out there and do whatever he wants. And I just think it's a very inefficient way to run their offense. Yeah, there were a lot of people making the comparison coming into this year to Austin Rivers and that Duke season that he had, which was just kind of, they were, I mean, that Duke team in, I think it was, I guess, 2012 was way better than this Carolina team. But it was still, there was a weird vibe about it. Like Rivers was taking a shitload of shots. And he was good, but probably not good enough to justify it. It's obviously been the same thing with Carolina this year. And I saw the stat today. Anthony is on pace to become the first and only player uh, in the ACC since 1992 to average more than 15 field goal attempts per game and have an effective field goal percentage below 45. He's averaging 17.1 attempts per game. And his effective field goal percentage right now is 42.4. That is atrocious. Like that That is very, very bad. And it's the recipe for... You know, a lot of losses piling up. Not to put this whole thing on Cole Anthony because he doesn't have a whole lot of support around him, but he hasn't been—he hasn't been great. Like, there's no question about it. Having said that, it like we kind of just talked about it. It does feel like there's a game between now and whenever the, the season ends for Carolina, where he's just going to go off. He hasn't really done it since the and, and go off and be efficient in the process. Not a, a game where he scores 30, but it takes him, you know, seven of 31 shooting to get there. A game like he had in the season opener against Notre Dame where he's just hitting everything and he's getting to the rack and he's doing all that good stuff. I, I just hope it's not against us because I think that we can defend him pretty well. Like I assume it's going to be Dwayne who guards him. They've got a couple of good front court players. I think you probably go ahead and put, I think, um, whoever our center is, assuming it's going to be Malik, guards Armando Baycott. I think Jordan can probably guard Garrison Brooks, although he's been he's really the guy good. that Garrison's probably the guy that scares me the most in this game. I think he's a tough matchup, and yeah, I mean they do crash the boards. That's the one thing. Yeah. I mean they they rebound the hell out of the ball. So if if there's anything we need to get ready for, it's probably missed shots and them going to the glass. I would not be shocked at all, and I wonder how you feel about this if we see a decent amount of zone from Louisville because. The matchups are a little bit weird. Like I think Jordan could guard Garrison Brooks, but he would be giving up three inches to a pretty good post player. And I think that I don't know if if Jordan can guard Cole Anthony. If he can, it'd be he'd probably struggle to keep him out of the paint. But this is a, a Carolina team, and I know that every time I mention a team shooting bad from three, they end up shooting the lights out against us. They're shooting twenty nine point two percent from three as a team. That's three hundred and thirty fourth out of 353 Division I teams. They are a bad three-point shooting team. Cole Anthony is streaky at best from beyond the arc. The grad transfer they brought in, uh, Christian Keeling from Charleston Southern and Justin Pierce from wherever he came from, I think uh, College of Charleston maybe, they have been bad. Like They have not looked like anything resembling ACC players the entire season. And then Leaky Black is more of a defensive guy than he is a, a shooter. Brandon Robinson can shoot it a little bit. He's obviously been hurt for a decent chunk of the season, but he's their best threat. But he like he's not a guy that scares you. He's relatively small. He's 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 slight. 
he can't do anything else but make those outside shots. Like I think going zone against these guys would be a beneficial deal, especially when Ryan McMahon's in the game. I agree somewhat. The one thing that does scare me is it's hard to rebound out of a zone, and Carolina crashes the glass so well that I would hate for them to get you know a couple cheapies just off you know missed shots. But it would it's very tempting to do it just because of how they shoot the ball. Um, it's just so weird to see like a Roy Williams coach team like be so inefficient on offense. You always expect them in like you know, Ken Palm's like top 10 of offense efficiency, or at least like uh, adjusted tempo. They're always one of the faster teams. And yeah, it's got, it's got to be a, a, a long year for old Roy, a lot of diet Pepsis. Um, that's for <laughs> sure. But I, uh, yeah. Did you say Pepsi? Roy's a Coke man. God, I thought I thought he was a Pepsi guy. That's my fault. He um, keeps the old school bottles in the fridge in his office. That's what he does. He? God, yeah. hand like hand commercial. up here. That's that's um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I, the game still does. I mean, it'll have some juice. I, I think a four o'clock crowd's gonna be great on a Saturday. I'm actually coming in. I'm bringing my son. Um, but I expect all the stars out. Jacket waver. I bet he's up and going. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see a juiced up crowd. You, do you love anybody at the Yum Center slash Freedom Hall more than you love Jacket Waver guy? Um, Sadat, just because I used to sit by him in Freedom Hall. I uh, love Sadat. He was awesome. The guy that does the – or hasn't really done it in a while, but he used to do the handstands down there um, in Freedom Hall. Uh, our seats were in the row behind him, and nicest <sighs> guy in the world, and we love Sadat. But, I mean, yeah, him and Jacket Waver haven't heard – you know, yeah, that basically I just love the character of fans that we used to have at Freedom Hall. We don't really see him as much at, at the Yum, but I mean, obviously, you know, we, we have a cast of characters of, of fans. I loved when because like you said, when you all used to have your season tickets at Freedom Hall, you would take you would generously take me to games back in the day. And Sadat was always one row in front of you. And there was that one game like five or six years ago where I got tickets two rows behind the bench and I brought you. And Sadat was sitting in front of us, like <laughs> the motherfucker, still one step ahead of you. He's like, he like turned around slowly and smiled at you. I was like, man, here he is again. He's just, yeah. you're never gonna be sitting in front of Sadat. Just the I way know. Gosh, yeah, he's second row, and I still can't beat him. But um... I think you made a, I think you made a really good point about the offensive rebounding because the one, like, the zone that we've played has looked pretty good whenever we've busted out so far this year. The one thing, and Daniel Lerner of the Athletic did a really good job at breaking down all the. The, the possessions we've had with the zone and the one weakness we've had has been rebounding out of it. And I think it's just, it's a feel thing when you're used to rebounding out of a man to man defense, especially one with pack line principles where you kind of know where you're going to be at all, at all cases and where you're supposed to be when a shot goes up. It's a little bit different when you switch to a zone. Like I think guys just, it was, it was funky. And for all that North Carolina has done poorly this year, they're still one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. They're 14th in the country in offensive rebound percentage. On 35.4% of their possessions, they're getting a second chance. So, especially against a team that shoots as poorly as they do, you can't afford to give them, you know, second chances and easy buckets and cheapies on putbacks. So that would be the one concern that that I, I would have with the zone. I think it's a good point. And the pace thing too, they're still the 60th fastest team in the country. So they're going to be, I think they're going to be faster. They're going to play at a faster pace than every team we've played this year besides Duke. I think that that's unless I'm missing somebody. Duke's the fastest team we've played, and Carolina's going to be the second. So they're going to get up and down, and I think we're probably going to run with them. Like I, I don't think Chris Mack's afraid to, to 
to play at that pace. We look for transition opportunities on offense. That's when we're at our best so far this year has been when we've been in transition. So, yeah, it should be an exciting game. It maybe gets a little sloppy because Carolina games have gotten sloppy this year, but it should be a, a juiced-up crowd, and they should have a lot to cheer for. I, I think it's going to be fun. And as far as, like, the, the whole Carolina's had a bad run of luck and they're due for a good run of luck is the only thing that, that really worries me about this game because Carolina, like you said, you want to say, well, they've got talent, they've got these – they don't like they've got Cole Anthony. They've got some front court players that were supposed to be better than they have who are just OK. And they've got a bunch of transfers that that aren't good. And some three and four star prospects from when uh, people thought they were going to get hammered for the whole cheating in school for 18 years thing. And the NCAA was like, no, you're good. Um, and But they still suck at recruiting. It's just they're not a good team. They should not be able to play with us. They should not be able to beat us. But they've been better recently. And it feels like they're due for one. That's the only thing that scares me about this game. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right on par with you. Um, I, I think it's great that we're coming off like a confidence-building win. I would have hate to played bad last night. Obviously, I would have really hate to, to have lost, but the fact that we played so well um, and we have like another home game here, uh, I think it's all positive vibes going forward into Saturday. So I'm expecting the cards to play well. All right, what's your uh, since we're not going to be able to talk again before the game, you're going to be there. I think the old, I think you're undefeated at home games this year, correct? This is so sad. I'm almost ashamed to admit I've only been to one. I went to the Clemson game. Okay. This is well, by far well. my yeah. I mean we we did play well, but um, God, I can't believe I've only been to one Cards game so far. That's just like that's just not right. So um, yeah, prediction. I'll say uh, I'll say Cards 82, Carolina 72. I like that. I, I feel like that's kind of where I am, too. I'm going to go – I think we're going to score a bunch in this game. And I know that's probably the, the death knell for us. Although We were so off on our Virginia prediction, so watch we it were. be like 61-54. I think last game, the, the game Wednesday night, was the, like the, the best that I've been at predicting something. Like I called Syracuse out for the bad rebounding. I thought it was going to be a good re- – like it was the one preview that I wrote where I was like something I wrote actually came to fruition. So now I'm feeling pretty good. But I feel like this is going to be a game where we score a ton. Uh, I'm going to go Louisville, 86, North Carolina, I'll say 76. So I'm sticking with you. I, I'm going with like a 10-point margin. That feels like about right. Um, any parting thoughts here before we read some reviews? Um, no, not really. I, I, I feel good about the game. And um, I, I really hope uh, the fans show out for this game. Uh Four o'clock on a Saturday is like a prime spot, so I'm expecting big things from the crowd. I'm too. And I thought that they were again. I don't want to get into the exact numbers because people keep talking about well, it's not capacity. All I care about is the fans who are there. And I thought that they, even though there was a, a little bit scarce at the beginning of the game, the crowd that was there in the lower bowl was packed by the time we got two or three minutes in there, and they were really loud. And I, the play that you referenced earlier, where David Johnson got the got the hustle offensive rebound. And Jordan got the end one just early in the second half. Like, place exploded. Like, that was the loudest that got the entire game. And I think that they really helped this team get out of that slump. So, I expect nothing less again. We only have two home games left. You get this. Well, God, that's weird to think about. But we get this one. And then you get Senior Day um, coming up on, I guess, two Sundays from now when Virginia Tech comes here. It's coming up quick. We've only got four regular season games here left. It feels, it feels awkward to talk about. It feels strange to talk about. But we're really nearing the end of the season. 
two chances left to see Dwayne Sutton playing inside the KFC Home Center and Ryan McMahon and Fresh Kimball and Stephen Enoch. It's uh, always sad to say goodbye to guys, especially once you get to this part of the season and you feel like you, you, know, you really know them. But we asked you guys to get us to 500 ratings before the Syracuse game on Wednesday. You did that. You guys are the best. As always, we're now at 504 ratings. And to encourage you to leave some reviews because it does help the podcast out a lot, we like to read some of them. Um, I, I, I'll read this one because one of them is going to lead to a Dan of the Dumps. But I'll read first this long name. Can't even Don't even want to get into it. It's a bunch of letters and a bunch of numbers. The, this person said, just trying to push that rating count up to 500 before tip-off. Hey, that's all we asked. Um, Emily HOH, she tweeted me before, said I wouldn't read the, the, uh, the, the review that she left because it was boring and she couldn't think of what to say. So I promised her I would review it. Here's what she had to say. She said, Card Chronicles, my go-to blog for UofL News, and I'm so glad to have a CC podcast. I really enjoy listening to Mike and Dan talk about all things UofL sports, or at least all things UofL men's basketball. I'd be down for a women's basketball spinoff as well. We're going to try to make I, that happen. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. We're, we're definitely going to try to do that some more. By the way, props to the UofL women. They took down Georgia Tech tonight. Uh, kind of a grinder. Dana Evans got hurt. But 58-47, the two transfers we have, the two Elizabeths, Balagoon and Dixon, knocking off their old team. That was awesome. We're still in control of the ACC. How cool would it be? I, I, now I'm going all in on regular season titles. How cool <laughs> would it be if we won both this year? Like the, like I, if we don't, I don't care about them. I'm more big picture. If we do, it's the greatest thing in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. We, we need like a, a Chris Mack, Jeff Walls, like out at the bar combo if they both do it. Oh, hell yeah. That would be fantastic. Um, all right, here's the, the review, and this is going to lead us into our Dan of the Dump story of the episode. It's from T-Wade22. said, I've heard Dan mention, or I've heard Mike mention Dan being a Trinity guy and on the team back in the day. Then it hit me with his last name, and I'm almost positive I remember Dan working a Mike Zabo basketball camp and being my team's coach. He says in parentheses, shaggy hair? Question mark. Which, yeah, you, 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 you had the shaggy hair back in the day. Coach Sennard led us uh, to the epic basketball camp Friday title. I believe we were Tennessee. Love the pod and go rock. So, can you confirm that you are Coach Snard in this story? Uh, unless there is somebody else. No, that's me, 100%. Um, I loved working uh, Coach Zabo's camp. Uh, if anyone's got kids out there, I highly encourage to send their kids to any basketball camp. Like, how much did you love going to basketball camp when you were growing up? It was, it was great. awesome. Like, like, I felt like I would like school everyone in my neighborhood, and then I go to basketball camp and realize like I was not as good as I thought I was. Oh, and like really good guys. I'm like, oh, it was God. always a wake up call. It was <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. It reminded me of when I was in. Uh, I went to public school for my first few years of, of elementary school, and I was in the the advanced program. Sick brag right there. And I won the like the hundred yard dash or forty yard dash or whatever it was. And then we did like I was like I'm the fastest kid alive. And then we did like the all class like all the winners race. And like halfway through, I was like, holy shit, these kids are, are 50 yards ahead of me. It was a, but basketball camp was 100% a wake-up call for me every year I did one. Yeah, but no, I mean, working them was great. And yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm glad that whoever wrote that had somehow remembers me and had a good experience. But so before, this is where my day in the dump comes in. The coach uh, before Mike Zabo at Trinity, his name was Dave Aberly. I, he, I used to work his camps as well. I used to go to his camps growing up. Um, and he ran, like, after Coach Zabo took over, he ran, like, a small basketball camp. 
um, over at Sacred Heart. I don't know how long he did it, but I know like the first year he did it, it was it was pretty small, and I was the only camp counselor. Um, so we go there, and it's a lot of like little kids, like six, seven, eight, like not not any of like uh, older kids. So they weren't uh, tall enough to shoot on the regular goals. So coach Averly brought out these like goals that he basically had to like put together. Like he had to like literally screw on the backboard. There were like these smaller goals and like, I mean, I, I would be over like entertaining the kids and he was over there like working his ass off, like putting in <laughs> screws, like, like sweating. I mean, like we're in the heat of summer. He's just like sweating his ass off. And like, finally, like this was like the first day um, he did this. So finally, like he, he sets up the goals and he's like, all right. And like, you know, I think he like ran off to like get a water or whatever. And like, it's just me and all the kids. And they're like, dunk it, dunk it. And I'm like, no, no, I can't like do it, do it. I was like, all right, give me the ball. <laughs> this was like a nine foot goal. I mean, I went up like Sean Kemp and absolutely <laughs> crammed on this thing and tore off the entire backboard. There's, like, screws flying all over the floor. <laughs> I'm like, the coach Gamely comes out. I mean, he's such a nice guy, but he was like, God damn! Like, what? like I was I was just, just such an idiot. Like, I just saw, like, the, just the look in his face. Like, what in the hell is this kid doing? Oh, my God. So, yeah, like, the kids probably on their first day of camp spent like half the time sitting in a circle because we were putting the goal back together so yeah that's my uh that's my day in the dump uh, i almost started giggling early on because i knew how the story ended and i was just i was ready for it shout out to coach Averly, uh tremendous freshman baseball coach as well um, yeah oh great guy yeah and, and good coach too he was a fantastic disciplinarian i remember um <laughs> we we had he, he was our because he was our disciplinary I think like our junior and senior year of high school, and I wrote and this is my favorite story about high school journalism. So I finished second in a national competition for column writing, um, and the topic of my column was lift the ban on hooded sweatshirts for free dress days at Trinity. Like, and if you go back and read it, like it's the it's it's the word it's the stupidest thing of all time. But I was interviewing him, and you're right. Like, Averly was is the nicest guy in the world. And he's like, he's like, like, I don't do, like, the whole, we're on the record now or we're off the record. And he's like, between you and me, I don't give a shit what you guys are wearing. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, do I put this in the column? I was like, I'm pretty sure this guy's going to get fired. I was like, I'm not going to. I was like, I'm not going to use it. So that was my first dabble with journalistic integrity. Like, I was like, oh, no. man. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and not say that. That's a great story. Oh, oh man. Uh, shout out to Dan the Dumb. Shout out to you guys for listening. If you haven't yet subscribed to the pod, please do us that favor. Um, please rate us and review us if you have the time to do so. We're going to end the podcast the way we always do with me trying to cut off Dan's go cards. It came eerily close. A lot of people mentioned last week I almost didn't get you, but I did. And the result was Louisville winning a basketball game by 26 points. So I feel good about it. So until we talk to you again, which should be this weekend, Go Cards, beat North Carolina. Go Cards.